I love all the songs that we sang this morning, and that last one, Merciful God, is just about probably my favorite song. Aren't you glad that that's true? That God is merciful? That He is abounding in love? I mean, where would we be without that, right? We, we would be hopeless. And so aren't you glad that God is merciful? Aren't you glad that God is forgiving? And isn't that really the most wonderful thing that, that you could know, that, that Christ has taken all your sin on himself, that God has wiped your slate clean, he has given you the righteousness of Christ, secured your eternal future. I mean, there's, there's no better news than that. Amen. That is so good. There is nothing better than knowing that you are forgiven by God. But what about when it comes to forgiving others? That's a different story, right? It's easy, it's wonderful to rejoice in being forgiven. But when someone hurts us, and we realize that we have to forgive them, that can be extremely difficult. I mean, just think through your life. People have hurt you at one point or another. It's just part of living in this fallen world. People have wronged you. They've sinned against you. They've hurt you in some way. And how did you respond when that happened? Naturally, we tend to respond with anger, bitterness, grudges, revenge, fighting, those sorts of things. Getting rid of that type of response and forgiving the wrongdoer, that's not natural. Okay? That takes the work of God in our hearts. You might even wonder, as I'm saying this, should I really forgive them? They sinned against me. I don't need to forgive them, right? Don't I have a right to be offended? Isn't the offense too big to let go of? But if we've been forgiven by God, and we refuse to forgive others, It means we're like beggars who inherit a fortune, as we've seen in Ephesians. And then we go back to the beggars that we used to live with, and we demand that they pay us back for that piece of bread that we once shared with them. We're like prisoners of war who get set free, but then we go out, and anyone we don't like, we imprison and we refuse to set them free. Or as Jesus taught in Matthew 18, we're like a servant who's forgiven a debt of billions. If you do the math, the debt that the servant is forgiven by his master is billions of dollars today. And then he goes out and he refuses to give a, forgive a smaller debt of thousands to his fellow servant. You see the disconnect there? That doesn't fit. Do you see the problem 
When someone receives the free, rich grace and forgiveness of God and then they refuse to give that same grace to other people. They withhold it. They withhold forgiveness. And unless you think that I'm looking down on you as someone who's mastered this, no, I needed this passage this week. God was working in me I mean, I need it every week, no matter what passage it is, but I needed this passage that we're going to look at today because this is just reality. People hurt us, and we tend to respond with anger, but God tells us to respond with kindness, compassion, forgiveness. How in the world do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today in Ephesians 4:31 to 32. Turn there with me if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair near you. You can grab Ephesians 4 verses 31 to 32. We'll be closing out Ephesians chapter 4 today and Paul's been listing these examples of what it means to put off the worldly ways of living to renew our minds and to put on Christ-like ways of living. And he comes to this final example of bitterness, and anger, and forgiveness. And the best way I could summarize it was this. Put off selfish anger and put on forgiveness because of God's forgiveness. Put off selfish anger and put on forgiveness because of God's forgiveness. Honestly, though, it's hard to say it better than the passage itself. So let's go ahead and read Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 32, and then we'll pray. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind And compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray. (coughs) Our merciful God, we praise you that you abound in love that you are faithful to all who draw near you. Thank you for showing us the cross where we could be forgiven. And so we come now, Lord, humble, broken in our sin. And we find ourselves at the feet of your mercy. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is with us to work in us. Thank you that you as our Father are shaping us and conforming us to the image of your Son and that everything you do is out of your love for us. Even when your word might cut into us like the surgeon's knife, it is out of love to heal us 
to remove the root of bitterness from us and to fill us with your love and compassion. Lord, I pray that as we study your word now, you would give me clarity of thought and speech, give me strength to preach your word in truth, in humility, in love, in boldness. I pray your spirit would continue to work in my heart and would work in the hearts of every person here, every individual who hears this sermon. Lord, use it to convict us, to encourage us, to make us stand in awe of your mercy. Truly, and can it be that you, our God, would die for us? And so help us to be moved by your forgiveness to forgive others in our life that you would be glorified through our forgiveness as well. Thank you for this time. Open our ears to hear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've seen, Paul's pattern has been for a little while, he'll usually list the sin that we need to put off, and then he'll show us the Christ-like action we need to put on, And often he includes the truth that we need to renew our minds, to change our behavior. And that's what he does here. He begins in verse 31 with putting off selfish anger. And he uses a cluster of words here to describe what he's talking about. The best way that I know how to kind of group them together is under that title of selfish anger. And if you think back to what we saw in verses 26 and 27, where Paul talked about righteous anger, this is clearly something different. In verse 26, he told us to be angry with righteous anger. But here in verse 31, he says, let all those things be removed from you, this selfish type of anger. And so I just want to review that really quick, because again, it's easy to get these things mixed up. What we saw in verses 26 and 27, righteous anger is angry because of sin that harms others and robs God of his glory. The selfish anger that we see here is angry because of something that harms me, something that harms us. It's self-focused. Righteous anger is motivated by love, And it seeks to protect others and restore them. Selfish anger is motivated by selfishness. And it seeks to harm others and tear them down in some way. Righteous anger is very rare for us to actually experience. It is possible. We're being made into the image of Christ. But it is hard for us to get to that point where we are angry over the things that make God angry and not angry over the things that hurt us. Selfish anger, on the other hand, is very common. I mean, if you think through this past week, you probably had selfish anger at some point in some form. I know I did. That's what Paul is talking about here, this selfish anger. 
So what are the words that he uses to describe it? He begins with bitterness. We probably know what that means. You're holding a grudge against someone. You have resentment in your heart for that person because of something they did and you you refuse to let it go. You know, whether it's an individual or a group of people, every time you think about them, it's, man, I just do not like those people. Every time you open your mouth, it's negative words about those people, that person or that group of people. That's bitterness. Bitterness in your heart that you won't let go of. Then he says anger. This specific word for anger is the intense outburst of anger. It's the kind of person where the the slightest thing happens and they just start shouting and they're violent. They're angry. You have to walk on eggshells around them. The next word is a little different. It's wrath. It's more of a controlled, settled, just feeling of anger. It seethes, it boils inside of you, but it doesn't necessarily burst out. And most often, almost always actually, this type of anger is associated with punishing wrongdoing. So in this context, where he's talking about personal offenses, what do you think this type of anger does? It seeks revenge. That's what he's getting at. He's seeking revenge because of an offense that's been done to you. You know, it might, you might look cool on the outside, you might seem nice, but inside, you're angry, you're plotting, and you're going to execute that revenge somehow. Probably my favorite example of this is the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. Who's read this book? I didn't think many of us had. It's, it's huge, right? Yeah, it's a good book. This is one of my favorite books. But what happens in it, at the beginning, the main character, Edmund, has awful things happen to him. There's this guy that hates him. He lies about him, gets him arrested, and steals his fiance. Okay? And then Edmund spends the rest of this massive book planning and executing a massive, intricate plot of revenge. That's what most of the book is, is him trying to get revenge. And he spends literally his whole life doing this. And it succeeds. I'm going to spoil the ending. You get to the end of the book, and he succeeds. He gets revenge. But the thing I like most about it is what he says here at the end. He writes a letter to his friend, and he says, Tell the angel who will watch over your life to pray sometimes for a man who, like Satan, momentarily thought himself the equal of God, and who, with all the humility of a Christian, came to realize that in God's hands alone reside supreme power and infinite wisdom. These prayers may perhaps ease the remorse that he takes with him in the depth of his heart. You get what he's saying there? I spent my whole life thinking that I had the wealth, the resources, the power, the wisdom to execute this revenge, and I did it, 
and it didn't satisfy me. The only thing I'm left with is regret. Only God has the power and the wisdom to execute perfect justice and revenge. That's why Paul tells us to put it off. And then he goes on to shouting. It's pretty obvious what that is. It's one of the ways we express anger. We get mad and we shout at someone. We fight with them. We quarrel with one another. But that's not the only way to express anger in our speech. Because he goes on to talk about slander. This is when you talk to someone else about the person that you're angry at. Did you hear what they did? Let me me tell you what they did to me. Oh, they might do all these nice things, but did you know that they're like this and this and this? And you're slandering them behind their back. You're tearing down their reputation. It's literally the word blasphemy. That you're blaspheming them. You're saying negative things to harm their reputation. And then he ends it at the end of the verse, malice. This really is just a general word for evil or wickedness. And it's similar to bitterness. It's this resentful emotion, but it's more intense. It's grown to the point of where you want that other person to feel pain because of what they did to you. They hurt you, and so you want to hurt them. It's these angry feelings. Do you see how ugly these things are? How divisive and destructive they are. These emotions, these actions are not Christ-like. And so Paul tells us to put them off, to let them be removed from us. Get rid of them. Don't let them be a part of you or your life. If you do, Christ will be defamed. Lives will be destroyed, including yours. And the church will tear itself apart. So we have to remove the selfish anger from our hearts, from our lives. You know, it's really easy to look around and see these things in other people. They're an angry person. They're bitter. They yell all the time. What about you? Do these things pop up in your heart and in your life in different ways? Are you bitter, holding a grudge against someone? Do you let your anger burst out at the slightest irritation? Are you seeking revenge against someone? Do you shout in anger or spread slander about others? Do you harbor malicious hatred in your heart? It could be a grudge from something that happened a long time ago. It could be a daily frustration with someone that you deal with each day. It could be being spiteful towards a single person or towards an entire group or class of people. 
If we are honest with ourselves, we do struggle with this. Anger is one of our most natural, sinful emotions. And when you think through these different expressions, different types of anger, you will almost certainly find at least one of them in your life. And studying this passage, going through this week, it would hit me over the head almost every day. Well, there's another time of anger. Lord, forgive me. Man, I I yelled at my kids. God, forgive me. Kids, forgive me. It happens. It's who we are. Don't make excuses for it. Don't try to justify it. The Bible says it's sin, so get rid of it. And that's what we must put off, the selfish anger. But what do we do instead? We get rid of that. What do we replace it with? Well, as our big idea says, put off selfish anger and put on forgiveness because of God's forgiveness. Let's look at verse 32. Paul says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So put on forgiveness. And again, Paul uses a few different words here to describe what he's talking about. But I think the main thing he's aiming at is that last one of forgiveness. We put on kindness, we put on compassion, and how do we display that? How do we be kind and compassionate to one another? By forgiving one another. And when someone wrongs us, we don't seek revenge, we don't hold a grudge, we forgive them. So let's again, let's look at what Paul's saying here. He says to be kind. Literally, it's the word for pleasant or easy. You, you probably can think of someone like, man, they're so nice to be around. They're just such a pleasant person. I always enjoy being with them. That's the idea here. They're not bitter or harsh. They're not super critical about every little thing in your life. They're easygoing. They're kind. They're benevolent. They do nice things. You enjoy being around them. And then he says to be compassionate. Other translations, I like, they say tender-hearted. It's literally the word that refers to your stomach churning with emotion. That when you see a need, you care about that person. You're moved emotionally to help out. And so even if someone hurts you, and they come to you broken-hearted and repentant. You don't just coolly ignore them, but you're moved with compassion to say, yes, I will forgive you, just as Christ forgave me. And then the final one, forgiving. It's actually a, not a common word for forgiveness. It's literally being gracious to one another. We need to understand what forgiveness is. Because we, we can have a lot of mixed up ideas about it. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget what happened. Okay, Forgive and forget, sometimes you can't forget. But you can still forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling or an emotion 
where suddenly you're best friends with this person. No. I like how one of my professors in college defined this in our class on counseling. He said, forgiveness is a promise to release someone from the penalty of their offense. Forgiveness is a promise to release someone from the penalty of their offense. So they have sinned, they have done wrong against you, but you're not going to hold it against them. You're not going to make them pay the penalty for it. You're going to release them from that penalty. And you promise to, to keep that. You're not going to go back on it. You may still have hurt feelings, but you're not going to hold the offense against them, even in your own heart and in your own thoughts. You may not forget what they did, but you're not going to unnecessarily raise the issue with other people. Okay? You're not going to gossip about them or slander them. It may cost you. It might often will hurt you. But you're not going to make them pay the price to be forgiven. I actually had this happen to me one time. I, I did something. I don't even remember what it was. And I didn't know that it had hurt this other person. But I found out and I went to them and I asked for forgiveness. And they said, well, I'll forgive you if you do this. That's not Christ-like forgiveness. That's making someone pay the price. Christ paid the price for us. Okay? So it is simply a fact of living in our fallen world that we will hurt one another. Right? We will try our best not to, but at some point, if we're around each other long enough, I'm going to hurt you in some way. You're going to hurt me in some way. We are all going to hurt one another in some way because we are sinners. We are forgiven. We are being changed into Christ's image, but we are still sinful. And when that happens, we have a choice. Will we respond by tearing down one another, tearing down the church with bitterness and anger? Or will we, he will we heal those hurts, heal those divisions with grace and forgiveness and kindness? Which one will you choose? So what would it look like if someone has genuinely wronged you and you're angry about it, but you don't want to act in selfish anger like we're seeing here, but as we've seen earlier in Ephesians 4, you want to take care of that sin, that, that rift in the relationship. You want to heal that. You want to forgive this person. You know, what if they lie to you or steal from you or gossip about you? And you are trying your best to follow Ephesians 4 in the things that it says, both about righteous anger taking care of sin, but also not acting in selfish anger. What do you do? What does that look like? Well, let me tell you a story from my life where I saw someone do this, I believe. It was when I was in college. We were going to a church. We would ride on the church van. And several of us on, at that church were involved in a ministry that reached out to deaf and blind children. Um, and we were talking about the 
um, leadership changes in that ministry. And I was talking to someone else sitting next to me, and I was saying, you know, I really don't know why they put this person in leadership. I just don't think they're the right person for that. And that person's sister was sitting in front of me, and she heard what I said. And after the church service, she came to me angry but controlled, tears brimming at her eyes. And she said, Zach, I heard what you said about my sister, and that was wrong. And immediately it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my goodness, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. that was, those were mean things that I said. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me for saying that? And she did. And we were able to move on with our friendship, continue being friends. Did she come to me and just yell at me and chew me out? No. Did she let that anger just reside in her heart and grow into bitterness or malice? No. She came to me in a a very controlled fashion. She came to me in love and she said, Zach, what you did was wrong. She confronted me about it. That was the right thing to do. But she didn't confront me about it in an angry, hateful, vengeful manner. She did it controlled and in love, and that's what we are supposed to do here. Sometimes it's basically impossible to stop those angry emotions from arising, but we should not act on those things. We take a step back, we calm down, we pray for God's help, we say, Lord, I want to do what's right, I want to show grace to this person. And if they do not come to you and confess, you go to them and confront. Not angrily, calmly, kindly, compassionately, so that you can forgive them as God has forgiven you. But man, that's not easy, is it? That is not easy at all. Maybe someone has horribly harmed you at some point and you think I don't know if I could ever forgive them maybe bitterness has lodged in your heart for so long that you feel like it's impossible to root it out or maybe you just have an angry personality and you don't know if you can really change but there is good news And that's the last part. There's good news that we can change in Christ with the grace of God. If you have been forgiven because of Christ, you can change from an angry, vengeful, bitter person to a loving, kind, compassionate, forgiving person. And that's why our big idea says that we put off selfish anger and put on forgiveness because of God's forgiveness. Look at verse 32 once again. Paul says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So why do we do this? How do we do this? We do it because of God's forgiveness of us. 
God forgiving us is the basis and the pattern for how we should forgive others. When we forgive others, it should look like the cross. And that hurts sometimes. How does God forgive us? He forgives us freely. He doesn't make us earn it. He doesn't make us pay anything to receive it. No, He paid the cost Himself. The greatest cost. The life of His own precious Son on the cross. God forgives us freely. He forgives us generously. He does not just wipe the slate clean, but He goes on to bless us immeasurably. That's what the whole first half of Ephesians is about that we saw in chapters 1 through 3. He forgives us completely. He doesn't just forgive part of our sin. He forgives all of our sin. He doesn't turn around and go back on His forgiveness and say, well, now I'm mad at you again. No. He, we will never, ever be under the condemnation of God again if we are in Christ. Amen. But He does forgive us conditionally. This is not a forgiveness that everyone receives. How do we receive this gift of forgiveness? We receive it when we repent of our sin and we trust in Christ. That's how we receive it. And so this forgiveness, this gift that Paul is talking about, does not automatically apply to everyone. To receive this gift of forgiveness, you have to turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to save you. And when we do that, we should be amazed. We should be floored with how awesome God's grace is to us. Like we sang earlier, we should be... I'm hitting the wrong button. <laughs> Like we sang earlier, we should be singing and praising. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can this be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? When you think about God's mercy, about the cross, about His forgiveness, is that your response? Are you humbled and amazed and you stand in awe of the forgiveness that God has shown you? And as the song continues, He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, humbled Himself and came in love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amen. God's forgiveness is stunning. And when we are amazed by the grace of God in our lives, it will overflow 
in us showing mercy and grace to others in our lives. But maybe you still struggle with this idea of having to forgive someone. I'm not saying this is easy. It can be one of the most difficult and painful things that you have to do. I know that people do awful, unspeakable things to others. And I don't know what people have done to you in your life. If something like that has happened to you, I genuinely grieve with you over that. That is terrible. But the fact is, as we see here, God commands us to forgive. If we seek to do his will, he will help us to do it. You might feel like it's impossible to forgive someone. And even if you wanted to, how, how could I actually have the strength to do it? God will help you. God will give you the grace to forgive as he has forgiven. And we have to realize that no matter what someone else has done to you, to us, it's really nothing compared to what we did to God. It's nothing compared to our sin that was laid on Christ's shoulders so that we could be forgiven. I'm not trying to minimize the sins that people have done against us. But this is true. I like what Heath Lambert says. Even when we are sinned against in horrifying ways, we are never asked to forgive others more than God forgave us when we trusted Christ with our salvation. So what would it take for you to forgive that person? Is Christ's death on the cross not enough? Is the blood of the Son of God not enough? Christ suffered and died so that we could be reconciled to God and also to one another. And if you are still struggling with this idea, as I usually say, I am happy to talk with you about it to talk over what this would look like in your life. But this might have raised a question in your mind. Do we have to forgive someone if they don't repent? If they don't confess their sin and repent of it? And actually the short answer is no. It says in verse 32 that we forgive just as God has forgiven us. And what is the condition for us to be forgiven? To repent and to trust in Christ. So if someone sins against you, but they never confess their sin to you, they don't repent, you do not have to make that promise of forgiveness to them. And let's look at Jesus' own teaching on this. He says in Luke 17, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Notice the condition there. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, 
and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now this does not mean that if someone doesn't come to you and confess, then you can just sit there and stew in anger and bitterness and hold on to the grudge. No, like Jesus says, you go to them and you rebuke them or you confront them. You can't just sit back and wait for them to come to you. You have a responsibility to go to that person in love to tell them how they've sinned against you. And you should be like like God, honestly, in this situation. We're not sitting back, stewing in anger. But what did our call to worship say about God today? He is kind. He is ready to forgive. It's the idea that God is eager. He's ready. He's waiting, hoping that we will confess, that we will repent. And he's, yes, now I can forgive you. That's tough for us to be like that sometimes. But that should be the case. Someone sins against us. We go to them and confront them, not just so we can chew them out or show them how wrong they are, but we go to them in love, saying, I I really hope they repent because I want to forgive them. I want my relationship with them restored. That's what we are supposed to do. And when we think about it, no matter how hard it is to forgive, forgiveness is always the better option than holding a grudge. If we refuse to forgive others as God has forgiven us, we're essentially saying that my sin was forgivable, but not theirs. We're saying that the blood of Christ was enough to cover my sin, but not yours. We're saying that their offense against me is more important than my offense against God. When we refuse to forgive, we minimize our own sin. We devalue the grace purchased through Christ's death and resurrection. We exalt ourselves as better than others, and we denigrate others as worse than us all at the same time. And such a life will destroy you and others, and it will only taste bitter. But when we graciously forgive as God has forgiven us, we will taste His sweet grace. We will have sweet-tasting foretaste of the fullness of His grace. We will go deeper into His forgiveness of us. As we practice the forgiveness that God has shown us, we understand more of the forgiveness that He has given us. And we have a closer walk with Him. We become more like Christ. We heal divisions in the church and strengthen the church. We put the gospel on display in one of the most tangible, powerful ways possible. We create opportunities to share that gospel with the people we forgive or with others who see what's happening. And above all, we glorify our merciful, gracious God who has forgiven us. Forgiveness is always the sweeter, better option, even if it hurts at first. 
And to show you this, I want to tell you one more story. And it actually comes from the latest Voice of the Martyrs magazine. There's another copy on the table back there if you want it. Or I can make you a copy of the story that I'm going to share with you. We've got a copier. I can make copies for you. Um, There's much more. I'm just going to summarize this. But this whole issue is about how forgiving others because Christ forgave us, as it says right here, is better than revenge. It is a great read. Highly encourage you to read it. But one of the stories that it tells in there is about a young man in the Middle East named Haney. And he was going in his early, late 20s, somewhere in there. He was going through some difficult circumstances in his life. His father had just died. He and his wife were living with his mother to take care of her. And Haney was afraid that his family was going to collapse because his mom and his wife did not get along. They had rough relationships, to put it mildly. And so Haney began praying for a solution. And one day he found a Bible. And he began reading it. He began reading God's Word. And the next day... Don't tell me God's not in control of things. The next day, he met a Christian man from his childhood who led him to the Lord. Haney accepted Christ, and several weeks later, his wife trusted Christ. And then his mother also trusted Christ. And that itself was shocking, because Haney's grandfather, his mother's father, had been killed in a civil war by Christians. So not only did she become a Christian, but she forgave the men who killed her father. And then the tensions between Haney's wife and his mother evaporated. They disappeared. Why? Because they were Christians now, showing the grace and the love of Christ to one another. Well, then Haney ran into a longtime friend named Samer. Samer was an angry, vengeful man. He knew nothing but how to seek revenge. But Haney led Samer to the Lord. Samer accepted Christ, and his wife noticed such a stark change in this man's attitude that she too accepted Christ. How amazing is that? That the gospel breaks into these bitter relationships And it changes lives. It saves souls. It mends broken families. It heals communities. That is the power of the gospel. To change us. To go from being selfishly angry people to being loving, kind, forgiving, compassionate people. And it's not just a drudgery of obeying commands, but there's joy. There's joy because we know the mercy of God on a whole new, deeper level. There's joy because where there was once hatred and bitterness, there is now healing and love. So I urge you, as Paul says, put off 
selfish anger. Get rid of it. Put on forgiveness because of God's forgiveness. Spend time taking a deep look at the cross, at the mercy, at the grace that God has shown you so that you can extend that same mercy and grace to others. It's not easy, but it is worth it. Let's pray. Lord, what, what words could we possibly use to describe the greatness of your love and your mercy and your forgiveness towards us. This should amaze us every day. It should change us and shape us to be like Christ, to love those around us, to view them not through eyes of selfishness and revenge and bitterness, but to view them through eyes of grace, with compassion. Lord, work in our hearts. Show us where we are wrong in these areas. Humble us, bring us to repentance, and help us stand freshly amazed at your grace, strengthened by your power to live this way for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.